Hey, before we get into our passage for the day, I want to say how excited I am to meet with most of you in person uh, next week for our services uh, out on the lacrosse fields at North Point Elementary. You know, with 10 acres of land to spread out on, I just want to reassure you it will be safe. If you're healthy, but you're feeling a little bit nervous on it, listen, you can come, you can sit 100 feet away from someone When the service is over, you can walk right back to your car. You won't have to touch anything or talk to anyone. We want to make it as safe as possible for everyone. I think it's important that we're together, you know, that we worship together as the body of Christ, as the family of God, as we hear the word together, as we sing to the Lord together. I know that um, many of us are kind of out of the habit of Sunday morning worship, but if you're healthy and you're able I want you to get back in the habit with us uh, next week. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So again, I want to be perfectly clear here. I'm not talking to any of you that aren't healthy, you're sick, you're vulnerable, even those of you that are kind of really worried about this. I'm talking to those of you that are saying, I just kind of like sleeping in on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm talking to you. Let's get back in the habit together of worshiping. It's a spiritual discipline, and I want to see you there next Sunday on the 28th. Okay, let's get into the message. You know, there's been a number of times in uh, the last week or two that I've been thinking about the doctrine of total depravity. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, that's the uh, biblical teaching that we on our own aren't able to do any good. Because if you were able to do good on your own, then you could theoretically work your own way to heaven, and we know that's not possible. In reality, because of Adam and Eve's original sin, we have a sinful nature, and so what comes natural to us is sin. And I've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks because I think our society is quite blind to this idea, which I suppose isn't all that surprising as the average person doesn't read the Bible all that much in America anymore. In America, you often hear people say that we are naturally good. And then they support that argument usually with straw man arguments like, you know what, if you saw an old woman trying to cross the road, wouldn't you go and help her? And I always feel like Even to that answer, I feel like for most people, the answer is no, because they would say, like the Good Samaritan, right? They would say, oh, you know what? I'm I'm really busy, and I just can't. Or you'd go and do it, but like the underlying reason why you did it was so you could post about it on Facebook later and feel good about yourself in your pride. We're not naturally good, noble, humble people. You know, it's easier to see this doctrine in action if you think of a more complex issue than sort of a straw man argument. So let me give you an example of this. I want you to think of someone who's wronged you. Think of someone who's maybe hurt your feelings, uh, done something to betray your trust. Uh, Maybe they've just talked bad about you. Now let me ask you this question. What is more natural for you? In other words, what comes easier? Is it easier to forgive them or to not forgive them? The answer is pretty obvious here. Kindness and love is not in our nature. Forgiveness is not our gut reaction. We need God. And as we've come to uh, yet another chapter of the book of Luke, we're in chapter 17 now, uh, we've come to an important teaching on sin and just how prevalent and how detrimental it really is and therefore how much we need forgiveness of each other. So if you haven't yet, uh, grab your Bibles. If you need to pause this, go get it and open up to Luke chapter 17. Uh, We are going to be right at verse 1. Here we go. 
It says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus is actually talking about two different stumbling blocks that make people fall into sin. And then in verse 3, very importantly, he says, so watch yourselves, and that we must. Okay, let's take a look at the very first stumbling block. It's this. It's the one that you put out in front of other people. So this one comes from the first two verses, if you have it in front of you, and I hope you do as we study the word. Jesus is saying, okay, listen, people are going to sin. Which is going to happen. We're sinful people, but woe to the one who causes them to stumble into sin. Woe to you. Right? And then he begins to talk about millstones around your neck and drowning in the sea. And it's all sort of surprising to our sort of modern, sensitive ears. But Context is everything. Where were we last week? Well, we were at the very end of uh, Luke chapter 16. You remember the passage? It's the one about the poor man, Lazarus, and the rich man. And Lazarus, the poor man goes to heaven, and the rich man goes to hell. Jesus has made it abundantly clear over and over in the Gospels that heaven and hell are real. And so therefore, leading someone into sin to the point where it would harden their hearts against accepting Christ, which means that it would eventually lead them to hell, Right? He's saying like that is the worst thing that you could do. And that's why he speaks about it in such strong terms. He says oh, it would just be better for them to have a millstone around their neck and thrown into the sea. Why? Because hell is forever. When Jesus is um, doing a really similar teaching, he's talking about the same sort of stumbling blocks and millstones around your neck and everything. You can read this in Matthew chapter 18. He also says this. So take a look at this. Matthew 18, I'll start at verse 7. He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Really similar to what we've already talked about. Then in verse 8, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is Jesus, right? I just say to people, read the Bible. Jesus talks like this. Now, of course, there's hyperbole involved here. Otherwise, we would all be blind. But Jesus doesn't want you to miss how serious this issue is. If you don't fight hard with the help of the Holy Spirit, if you don't fight hard today against sin, Sin is like a magnet, and it will pull you closer to it. And tomorrow, it'll be even harder for you to throw it off. And then, as you become more and more hardened to sin, your sinful lifestyle starts to pull others away from accepting Christ and following Jesus. And then you, in your life, before you know it, will be a stumbling block to 
other people. You know, when I was in college, I had a professor who claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but uh, clearly he was not. Uh, This is a strong statement, but I often think of him when I read this passage. Uh, He would tell all of these young 18 or 19-year-old kids that basically the Bible uh, can't be trusted. And then he would go through a whole list of reasons. And then he would maybe try and prove that Jesus wasn't God or that Jesus wasn't the only way. All while claiming to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't think his reasons were all that good or even all that compelling. But remember, these are 18 and 19-year-old kids, college kids, who are looking for any sort of philosophy that will help them rationalize how they're living their lives on the weekend, if you catch my drift. And so for many of these 18 or 19-year-old kids, they latched on this sort of thinking. And at 19 years old, because of his teachings, they left their faith behind in every semester. He'd be responsible for more and more kids saying, I'm not going to follow Jesus. Now, I pray that God has mercy on this professor. I pray that he accepts Christ, that he repents. But if he does not, he'll have wished for a millstone around his neck. That's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. But there are two stumbling blocks in these first six verses. We should A, as we've talked about, watch ourselves, right, so that we don't become a stumbling block for others. But we should also be watching to make sure that we're not stumbling over other people. So take a look at the second one. It's basically, so one, it's the one you put out in front of people, and two, it's the people that you stumble over. Now notice something. Jesus is going to say something that we don't even naturally expect here. It's like we almost expect him to say something like, and likewise, make sure that you don't stumble over rebellious people and start falling into wild living like they are. He doesn't warn us about that. What does he say? He warns you that you shouldn't let bitterness and unforgiveness become a stumbling block to your faith. Uh Uh-oh. This isn't good, right? We, better, we, we, need to, we need this. We better keep reading this one. Okay, so look at, look at this passage again. Okay, this is middle of verse three. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You know, when Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew as well. And Peter says, really, like seven, like seven times? And Jesus says, well, actually, I tell you, 77 times. Now, numbers have meaning often in Scripture, and the number seven means a perfection or a completion. And so when he says 77 times, he basically means there's no limit to how much you should forgive. Now, some of you heard this, and you just went, I don't know if I like this, because it just sounds like me just getting walked on. Now, let's be clear. Look, look at Okay, look at the word of God if you have it in front of you again. That's not what he's saying. He says, if they sin against you, what does he say? He says, rebuke them. We don't even use that word anymore. He says, rebuke. He says, you as a Christian can say to them, this is not right. What you are doing is wrong in the eyes of the Lord. That's a rebuking. But then he says, but if they then repent and they're genuinely sorry and they're committing to turn their life around, then you should. In fact, he says, you must offer them forgiveness. And if they don't repent, as we see in other passages in Scripture, you should still forgive them, right, in your own heart. Now, suffice it to say, you might not be able to have a a relationship, a friendship with them if they're not repentant, if they don't want to reconcile, but we should still forgive in our own heart. 
I mean, he says seven times in one day. So he's basically saying, okay, if your friend sins against you at 9 a.m., right, but at 9.05, they've repented to you, like, oh, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have said that, I'm trying to get better, you should forgive them. At 10 o'clock a.m., they sin against you again, but at 10.05, they repent, you should say, you know what, I forgive you. If at 11 o'clock they sin, but at 11.05, they come to you and repent. By the way, at this time, if they come to me and repent, I... Uh, I can't say that I'm genuinely believing their repentance at this point, but still Jesus says, it's on me, I must forgive them. Now, I might set up some boundaries in that friendship at that point so I don't get taken advantage of, but it's still my responsibility to work on forgiving them from my heart. And one of the reasons that I do that is because of the platinum rule in the Bible. Do you remember this? We've been talking about this a lot through Luke. The platinum rule in scripture is I should treat others like Jesus treated me. And don't I come to Jesus every hour? Won't I come to Jesus at 12.05 and say, oh Lord, I messed up again. I can't believe I even said that to somebody at lunch. Like, forgive me, right? And then in the afternoon, I come back and I say, I, you know, I was driving back from lunch and I got super mad at that driver. Like, forgive me. And at two o'clock, and what does he do? He keeps forgiving us, right? And so we treat others like Jesus treated us. And listen, this teaching from Luke 17 is as much for our sake as it is for those who've wronged us. Now, I was reading a, a study this week because I just, I love studies and I love data. And there was this one study where doctors and psychologists would uh, hook up patients to different monitoring devices, which sounds like all sorts of fun. And then they would ask them really hard questions about people who had deeply wounded or hurt them. And for a lot of people, as soon as they started asking questions, like their blood pressure on the monitors just went way up, right? And, and the doctors would say, could you tell us about someone who's deeply offended or hurt you, right? And some of the, some of the people would say, well, how much time do you have? Where do you want me to start, right? And their blood pressure's already through the roof. They said, but it was interesting, as they met with people that were a bit more emotionally healthy, a bit more spiritually mature, that their blood pressure didn't even go up when they were asked the question. Some people even said, can I have some more time? Because I can't even really think of anyone right now. Okay, now, certainly some people have had more trauma than others in life, right? But everybody's been hurt. The difference is those that are practicing the spiritual discipline of forgiveness as taught in Luke 17, they're not tied down by bitterness. And this is where you see the connection to verses five and six. This is kind of cool. I didn't even see this when I, until I really started studying their passage. So the disciples understandably, they think that Jesus' teaching on forgiveness, keep forgiving them all day long, they think that's going to be incredibly difficult to apply in real life. And so they look at Jesus and they say, increase our faith. Like, in other words, Jesus, there's no way I'm doing this unless you like, whoo, look, I really would need to increase my faith to be able to pull this off. There's no way that I could forgive my parents after two decades of wrong. There's no way I could forgive, you know, and on and on. And they just... I'm sure had tons of examples and people. And so they asked for more faith. Now look really closely at Jesus's response. It says, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, when we read that, most of us don't know much about mulberry trees, right? And so we kind of just Keep reading. We don't even think about it. But here's the thing about mulberry trees. They have extraordinarily deep roots. 
much like the deep roots of bitterness and unforgiveness inside of us. If someone has hurt you and you haven't forgiven them, you haven't prayed about it, you haven't talked to a trusted Christian friend about it, you haven't really brought it to the Lord and actually looked at them and said, I just want you to know I spent a lot of time thinking and praying about this and I forgive you. I'm letting go. And I'm not saying that's all right. I'm not saying it was okay, but I'm letting go of the anger that I hold towards you. If you haven't done that, then those roots of unforgiveness are probably deep inside of you, like a root that's just twisted deep around your heart. I just think the word of God has much to teach us here. Uh, The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, verses 14 through 15, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So if you can't live at peace, if you can't forgive, then the bitter root is going to grow into your heart and eventually it'll spill out into your everyday life. Let me give you an example of this. I, I, I saw this on social media this week. There was a church uh, in Minnesota that posted a really similar verse to this on their Facebook. Um, it, this is Romans chapter 12. They posted verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, so that's as much as you're doing the work of forgiving in your heart, live at peace with everyone. And then there were a number of comments. This is on a church page. A number of comments that just said, nope, not going to happen. Uh, no thanks. Another one just said, too hard. And I'm reading this, and after I got over my shock at just the disregard for God's word, my heart just broke for these people because the roots of unforgiveness are just strangling their heart. You know, others of us, I think, are uh, somewhere in the middle. I mean, sure, you uh, maybe agree with the concept of forgiveness, but you haven't actually done the work to forgive family members or old friends that have hurt you. You know, I read uh, this from Christian author uh, Beth Moore. Uh, She once was visiting the African country of Angola when it was struggling with war and famine and just so so many difficult things there. And she wrote, one of her strongest memories of visiting Angola was learning that aid workers were bringing seeds to plant uh, to the villages for people. But the people were so hungry that they just ate the seeds instead of planting them. And then Beth Moore writes this. She said, you know, that's often what we do with the word of God, which, by the way, is often called the seed in the scriptures. She says, we hear it, and we're hungry for change, but we don't want to do the work. We don't want to wait. And so we just eat it. You hear the teaching of the word, and you go, oh, yep, forgiveness. Mm -hmm, That makes sense. I agree with you. Yep, thank you, pastor. Good word today. But you don't plant it. You don't push it down. You don't sow it into your heart. You don't do the work to care for it and watch it grow. And so it never actually does anything in your life. And so if you want to really apply Jesus' teaching and you've been thinking of some people today while you've been listening that you just haven't forgiven, you need to start doing the work of letting God move in your heart so that you can grant forgiveness. If you don't do the work, if you don't trust Jesus' word here, then those roots of unforgiveness will continue to grow. And they'll just coil around your heart. And I just, I just, I beg you, trust the teachings of Jesus. It will be so freeing to you. I mean, look, Jesus says 
if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can uproot even the mulberry tree, and it'll be thrown into the sea. Some of you are just going, I can't, I just can't. Like, David, you don't know what they did. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's too hard. I don't have that kind of faith. But look at, look at Jesus' response, verse six. He, he, he's actually correcting the disciples' bad theology here. Because like many of us, they say, well, if I just had more faith, then maybe I could. But Jesus is correcting them. He says, no, 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 no. Even faith as small as a mustard seed, the tiniest seed could rip the roots right out of the ground. Uh, the great missionary uh, to China, Hudson Taylor, once explained it this way. He said, you do not need a great faith, but faith in a great God. Bring your pain to Jesus, our great God. See his grace. See how, you lo- how he loved you, the sinner, how he went to the cross and died for you, and how even though we continue to sin again and again and again and again and again, that he forgives us. And you just let his love and forgiveness seep into your heart so that you can offer that same love and forgiveness to others. Let me pray. Jesus, give us a deeper understanding of your heart, of your forgiveness. And may God, may we extend your love and your forgiveness to others. So in your name we pray, amen.